This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You scared. Scared money don't make no money. Scared money don't make money. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Back on the podcast grind, a legit podcast this week. No longer ordinary podcasters because Virginia Tech is ranked, so automatically we're official. Is that is that what it takes now? I think I guess, so. I guess everything up to this point has been... It's been leading up to this point. So now so we're ready for the big time. We're ready for the big time. We have to put on a show tonight. Virginia Tech ranked number 25 in the latest AP Top 25 poll, which is poetic in a sense because it's Frank Beamer's number and... Next week is Bud Foster's last game in Lane Stadium. Yeah, I guess they want to stay 25 for as long as they can, I right? No. I guess you <laughs> Maybe <rather. laughs> I mean you got to move up if you want to if you want to have a shot at the Orange Bowl, but anyways, to get to that number 25, Virginia Tech had to go through Atlanta and play Georgia Tech, the Battle of the Techs. Virginia Tech absolutely dominated 45 to 0. Shut out for Bud Foster. A few weeks ago, I was looking at all these games, and I was saying, will he get one this year? And he does in Atlanta. Yeah, and I think if we go back to um, our preseason predictions, this is the game that I <laughs> predicted Virginia Tech would lose. And uh, that clearly didn't happen. Just a, just a really good performance, obviously, all the way around. And the focus is on the defense for, for the shutout. Um particularly given the significance with Foster's last year. Um, but in terms of making a statement, uh, we've talked probably since that UNC game about the progress the team is making overall. Um, but I think this is probably the first time that on a, on a maybe not national scale, because I'm not sure how many people are tuning in to the ACC Coastal race with a bunch of six and three seven and three teams right now, but um I think teams like UVA and uh Pittsburgh had gotten a lot of the attention, but this kind of felt like it validated what Virginia Tech had been doing over the last um four or five games. Yeah, and I just want to talk about something quickly because you mentioned it preseason, you picked Georgia Tech to win this game. Vegas, five and a half, six was the closing line. How? How? We, this is what we talked about um, at the end of the last podcast. That was like a line that I don't know how they you you always trust Vegas because they always know and they always they always get you with the half point at the end. Um, but yeah, that one seemed. I guess it was all based on what they'd done against UVA the week before and playing at home, but it just seemed a little off um, compared to compared to what everybody thought, basically. Yeah, and and watching this game, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, Georgia Tech has potential. They did it against Virginia. Virginia 
is definitely struggling in the back end of their defense with a lot of injuries, but they kept it competitive. So I always thought this was a team that, you know, given the right circumstances, playing at home, playing motivated, could be a scary team to play against. But Virginia Tech comes in, arguably had their best game of the season against Wake Forest, and one-ups that performance against Georgia Tech. I mean, essentially, Georgia Tech couldn't get anything going on offense, and Virginia Tech did whatever they pleased on offense. Yeah, they came out, um, aside from the first couple drives, where Virginia Tech's offense kind of stalled a little bit. Um, Just took care of business and went right down the field, um, got ahead early and kept with it, and I think that was the game plan that we talked about was – with James Graham's limitations throwing the ball, if you can get up early and and make him have to throw the ball, um, I think that would put Virginia Tech in a great spot, and that's that's basically how it played out. Graham finished seven of fourteen for forty three yards, um, pretty brutal performance there, but that was in line of what with what he'd done against Miami and Pittsburgh. Basically, it was that UVA game that was the outlier that. Um, I think he gave everybody calls um, for concern, but um, I think that's clearly more indicative of what UVA secondary is um, right now, which I think we'll talk about here in a couple weeks. But uh, just a total performance all the way around. Farley getting the pick six pretty much put, I mean, it was 21 nothing at the time, but that basically sealed it. And it was, if it wasn't over by then, um, that pick six, basically ended it there in the first half. Yeah, and the offensive game plan looked good. Hendon Hooker looked comfortable. He had a few throws that were batted down or ill-timed throws, but overall the offense was firing on all cylinders. 16 total passes uh, between Hooker, Patterson, and I guess Tavion Robinson, uh, and, and then 45 rushes. So this seemed like the game plan that we expected going into this game run the ball down the throats of Georgia Tech, and they did it extremely successfully, 238 yards. You know, I thought it would be somewhere around 250. It was close. I guess credit goes to, uh, you know, the backups that came in the second half. Virginia Tech wanted to see, you know, other players on the depth chart. And, you know, again, total, total performance. It's crazy to me that Tavion Robinson on that one double end around – 49 yards <laughs> is almost the equivalent of Georgia Tech, who rushed 31 times for 53 yards. That one run for Tavion Robinson almost equaled the rushing output of Georgia Tech. Yeah, <laughs> pretty crazy. The, the the jet sweep for end around, I guess, that, that play to Robinson started as a jet sweep, at least. Um, how effective that was, just really diverse running game for for Virginia Tech, rolled up 238 yards with, let's see, one, two, three, four, seven guys getting over between 20 and 49 yards. Nobody nobody had more than 50 yards rushing for Virginia Tech. Um, So, you know, I think that was, I mean, that's got to be the game plan when you're talking about Deshaun McLeese isn't going to be able to carry the ball 25 times. Kashawn King's not going to be able to do that. You certainly don't want Hendon Hooker doing that. So you divvied it up. McLeese had 11 to lead the way, um, and that was the difference. 
was the Virginia Tech rushing game, rushing defense, um, compared to what Virginia Tech's rushing game on offense was able to do. I mean, when you, when you can control the clock with your ground game and then shut down the opposition's running game, I mean, that's a recipe for success anywhere. Yeah. And I think Jordan Mason is a guy we highlighted going into this game saying that he was up there amongst some of the best backs in the ACC. Five carries for five yards, and he was averaging 80. He, not I'm, not what I expected. Um, but, again, I, th- I think that's especially a Bud Foster defense when you can take away the throwing game and focus on the running game and just let, you know, let the, let the front seven, front eight kind of tee off there at the line of scrimmage. That's, that's where you're going to go. He's a good running back. He's not. I mean, we weren't completely off base there by saying he's a good player. Um, it was just, I think, given where Georgia Tech is as a program and in their personnel, that's a that's a tough situation when you run into a defense that's playing as well as as Virginia Tech is right now. And it's also crazy. I'm I'm just looking at this box score right now and looking at all the contributors for the Virginia Tech offense. And it's crazy to me, one, how well-balanced the rushing attack was. You mentioned it. So many guys chipping in. It was good that Hendon Hooker, and we saw a little bit of an injury scare with his knee, only had seven carries and really wasn't asked to do too much in the ground game aside from, you know, those touchdown runs. Um, but when you're when you're looking at, at this box score, the one thing that I'm noticing is the omission from Damon Hazleton. Virginia Tech's able to, you know, essentially put up 38 points of offense without arguably their best wide receiver. Yeah, if you told me that uh, Damon Hazleton would be held without a catch and Trey Turner would have two catches for 46 yards, um, I wouldn't tell you that Virginia Tech won the game 45 to nothing. Um, So it's just a sign of kind of where the offense has come from when I mean, Turner and Hazleton are probably the two most talented skill position players on the team. And to, to get, you know, obviously Turner had a, had a nice day with the long, the long, uh, jet sweep run too, but to get 45 points when you don't get anything from Hazleton, um, I think that's just a sign of where the offense is and how confident they are. And, um, I mean, this is, you can basically throw out that Notre Dame game just because they had to without Hooker, but ever since he's taken over, uh, this is pretty much what the Virginia Tech offenses look like. Who would you say was your standout performer or even unit if you want to go that that way? Uh, I'll go with tight ends. I'll make it pick the obvious one. Um, James Mitchell's four catches, ninety yards, a touchdown. Um, Dalton Keene only had one catch for four yards, but I could watch that guy block all day long. And he, I was rewatching the game this morning and he had some blocks on just about any, any catch and run Virginia Tech had. He was <laughs> moving some poor Georgia Tech defender basically to the sideline out of the play. So, um, those guys, those guys do it all when you think about Keene's ability to block and Mitchell in the passing game and, I think that little slip play they run where Mitchell gets the ball on the flat wide open and Dalton Keene's in front of him. It's pretty much, I guess it's unstoppable. <laughs> and they pick a good, they pick great times to run it. So, 
Um, that's certainly a play that I think every, at least the defensive coordinators left on the schedule at Pittsburgh and, and Virginia are going to be <laughs> trying to figure out how to stop and how to be ready for it. Yeah, it just comes at times that you don't expect. And I was actually having a conversation uh, with someone today about the Virginia Tech offense, and I was saying, you know, when when Hendon Hooker wasn't the quarterback, I would be sitting there and watching the offense and saying, run to the right, and it would be a run to the right. You know, curl pass to Damon Hazleton one-on-one. It would happen, right? It was just very telegraphed. And now with Hendon Hooker and, and all these possibilities on the outside, skill position players, the tight ends coming back into the fold, I mean, it's it's so unpredictable. So, you know, the play that you're talking about with the tight ends, it's like you never know when it's going to happen. And then, two, how do you defend it when you have – Dalton Keene blocking out in front and then a 250 pound, you know, athlete that can pretty much play running back, taking the ball down the sideline. I mean, it's, it's, it's great what the Virginia tech offense has become. Yeah. I mean, with hooker at quarterback and you can put Turner and Hazleton at receiver and then some combination of like Keene, Mitchell, McLeese, Robinson, kind of as your secondary skill position options. Um, it's got to be difficult for a defense to, to, to focus on any particular area because if, you know, Hazleton and Turner are running down the field, if you don't cover them, Tech is going to pick up chunks of yards that way. And then if you don't cover, and that's going to, if you do choose to cover them and just, then you got Keene and Mitchell working underneath. So it, it fits all together and everybody's seems to be pretty complimentary of each piece um, to open up the other guys. So if you're going to look at shutting down that Keenan Mitchell play, that's wide open for the last couple of weeks. Um, then I'm, I imagine Cordelson's ready to just say, okay, we're going to throw it to Turner and Hazleton 10 times a game now. So um, yeah, just as, as long as hooker is playing, like he's playing and not turning the ball over. You just got to feel really good about where the Virginia Tech offense is. I want to quickly jump back to highlight the performer of the gamer. I'm going to choose a unit here. I'm going to say the offensive line. The offensive line has been so good, and we talked about it in a recent podcast, about how so many factors had to happen for Virginia Tech to find the success, that the turnaround post-Duke, wasn't just Hendon Hooker, wasn't just Jerry Kale as much as everyone wants to give him all the credit. It's so <laughs> many different facets of this team all stepping up in unison at the right time at the same time. And the execution levels have just been tenfold. So the offensive line is is crazy how they've developed. I think heading into the season, a lot of us expected the offensive line to be one of the strengths of this Virginia Tech offense. And you know, that's kind of crazy considering how young, how inexperienced some of the pieces are. But now that they've played most of the season together and they have that uh, chemistry with one another, they know which calls to make at the line of scrimmage. They know when to go on, on you know, to double team a blocker and open up a hole. It Because Virginia Tech can rely on the offensive line, it's why we're seeing so much success on the ground game. So, you know, to me, their development is one of the most crucial pieces of this offense. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think Hooker gets a lot of attention at quarterback, but I think it's 100% or not all about the offensive line. He clearly gets some credit for it, but the offensive line and what they've allowed Hooker to do both in the running game and the throwing game. Um, Virginia Tech's offense has not improved because Hooker has come in all of a sudden with the ability to, you know, ex- to get get away from pressure and and extend a play and make a huge highlight on the ground. Um, like Hooker's rushing yards mostly come on designed runs where they're um, where it's the offensive line blocking for him and opening up the holes. It's he's not it's not like the offense has changed um, and he's just back there running for his life the whole time and making improvising. Um, the offense, when he needs time to throw, he gets time to throw. And they want to run him, they run him, and they block well for that. I mean, you see those, I don't know what you want to call them, <laughs> this quarterback run straight ahead plays at the, <laughs> in the red zone that it, that he scored twice on. I mean, you have Doug Nestor, a true freshman, pulling around and leading the way up the middle for him. So, um, I think the offensive line's been huge. I think, you know, it's crazy. Earlier this, early in the season, we were talking about the struggles of the offensive line and Brian Hudson as like the fourth string center back week two and week three and what a problem that seemed to be. But, uh, he's played well. Uh, Nestor's played well. Right tackle has now got Tanuta there. I think Danzy's still a little hurt. Um, and then I saw TJ Jackson was even rotating in there this game. They got Austin Cannon as basically the number three guard. He's flip-flopping left guard and right guard. So they're basically playing like seven, eight offensive linemen. Um, and you don't really see a drop off from one to the other. So, uh, of course you got to give credit to Jerry Kill because, of course, because he does everything. <laughs> um, but got to give credit to the linemen and Vance Vice too for, for sticking with it and, um, you know, I think we spent a lot of time earlier this year talking about how much they were struggling and it showed up in the running game stats earlier in the year, but certainly not an issue now. Yeah, and I just want to, last thing on the offensive line against Georgia Tech, and I don't know if it's because it's Georgia Tech and they're not the best defense that this Virginia Tech offensive line is playing against, but it felt like the the holes on the offensive line were more sustained and that even when hooker or king were taking goal line carries i mean there was a clear path for them to get in and you know king was on his feet hooker was on his feet when he went into the end zone so it's not like they're you know pushing for every yard pushing these guys into the end zone and hoping that the ball breaks the line it's like they're clearly in you know they're creating that space they're physical they're nasty up front and then you know on top of that when you're watching the other running backs, Deshaun McLeese, Keyshawn King, I saw it numerous times. It's like when they have space to work with, they run so much more inspired that you're seeing, you know, like Keyshawn King is now dropping his shoulder into guys. Whereas before, you know, he's he's trying his hardest to get three yards by running away from everyone. It seems like with the handoffs to McLeese and King that the the play is – they're blocking well enough that the play that's like 
where the the hole is supposed to be and the the hole that the running back is supposed to run through that's where the play is going because it's there um you're not seeing like king have to stop and reverse field or cut back or bounce it to the outside it just for the most part it's like all right we're handing it off to the left you're going to you know Darisaw and smith are going to open up this hole and and then Keane's probably going to be at the second level obliterating the the linebacker and there's your hole and that's pretty much what ends up happening so um i think that's pretty i mean pretty indicative of what the offensive line has been doing and just the success of the offense in terms of being able to dictate what they want to do against the opposing defenses, no matter if it's Georgia Tech this week or um, Wake Forest last week, North Carolina, Miami, you go through the hooker era. And I mean, it's hard to find like throughout that Notre Dame game. It's hard to find like a sustained uh, like situation or period of any game where, the tech offense has like struggled to to figure out where it needs to go. Basically, anything else that we should cover on the offensive side of the ball? I think we're good there. Um, nice showing by Caleb Stewart there at the end of the game. Yeah, we could we could touch on him a little bit. I mean, he deserves a shout out. Yeah, I mean that was good. He, you know, he came in um, you know late in the game, but you know he had a couple big runs. He looked good when. Uh, I think he, he was close. He ran it at, like first and goal or something, or to make it first and goal. And, um, you know, powerful running back. He's bigger back than some of the other guys, but, you know, he looks like he has some potential. And it's, it's interesting because we talk so much about McLeese and King, and there's also Stewart waiting there. And, you know, we saw a little bit of Taj Gary. You would figure this would be one of the games he would play in, you know, being a Georgia guy. Um, but I think they're they're set on resting him. Um, but so many options, so many mouths to feed on the offense. Yeah, I think um, I think I also saw a little bit of John Harris on the offensive line late, a little bit of I think it was Walker Culver late. Basically, so many people got to play in this game that it was, it was hard late to figure out what uh, <laughs> who was playing because they hadn't played yet um, to figure it out. So I'm looking looking at the stats. Rushing offense in November only. So Notre Dame, Wake Forest, and Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech um, is 37th in the country. So wow, that's pretty good considering. If you go back to September, they're 78th in the country. So, um, yeah, I think we covered on the offensive side of the ball there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. I just remember just quickly. I remember doing an article all the way in September, and uh, part of it was showing the ranking of Virginia Tech's offense and you know rushing, passing, whatever. And I I remember I put a section below the ranking stating what could they do to make it better. And I had no answers for the rushing attack, and here they are. <laughs> but um, moving to the defensive side, obviously, you know, once again, it's Bud's day. Every day is Bud's day. Every game is Bud's day. Wake Forest, he gets a banner. This time he gets a shutout against Georgia Tech. And, you know, next week against Pittsburgh, it's going to be his last home game at Lane Stadium. And then the week after is the last Commonwealth Cup, and then the last <laughs> bowl game, the last – potentially ACC championship game. It's all about Bud. But anyways, 
Incredible performance by this Virginia Tech lunch pail defense. Guys were flying around. I mean, it seemed like James Graham was just had no idea what to do. You talked about it. He was a, a one read and run kind of guy, but when he was running out, you know, Virginia Tech had him well covered. Containment was awesome in my opinion. They cycled a lot of guys throughout the game. Let's start let's start there. I mean, who was your highlight player on this Virginia Tech defense? I thought Shamari Connor had a really nice game coming back. My boy. Uh, your boy Shamari. Guess he got banged up there a little bit at the beginning or in the middle part of the season. Um was splitting time with Ladler and all that, but um he actually I didn't look this up until right now, but he was the leading tackler on the team with uh, seven stops. So I think that backs it up. But um, that play he made, I think it was the first drive of the game where it was third down and they completed a pass out in the flats. And it looked like it looked like the guy had a chance to just pick up the first down. And he basically just slugged him to the ground about two yards short to, to get off the field. And that was the first of, I think it was four or five, straight three and outs to start the game. So set the tone there. And I mean, we saw him play so well early, in the, early in the year, it was uh, kind of a shame to, for him to drop off um, to the point where, you know, he wasn't even playing at the end of that Carolina game. So big bounce back game from him. So I think that's a, that's a really good sign going forward. Yeah. I mean, he was incredible at that position. I was actually going to choose him for my standout guy. I know of a lot of you were. <laughs> I had to, but you know, now I got to go to option B. But honestly, you know, there's so many standout performances on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, a lot of fans want to point to Caleb Farley's pick six. Um, and you know, he ended the day with zero tackles, which is a good thing for a cornerback because they couldn't throw to him. You know, that was a major reason why that, you know, James Graham couldn't get anything going because every time he looked that direction, Caleb Farley was just locked down covering. Um, but I think, you know, another standout performer was Deshaun Crawford on the defensive line. You talk about this run defense and how good it's gotten. That wasn't good English, but, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Crawford is a, is a guy that, you know, comes over from the Juco ranks, you know, has a chip on his shoulder, has to prove himself at a school like Virginia Tech, and there's so many question marks about the defensive line play. Where would the production come from? And now Deshaun Crawford stepping in there, had an interception last week against Wake Forest, has a sack and a half against Georgia Tech, just wreaking havoc in the middle. I think his play and him being so potent on that defensive line has also helped You know, a guy like Gerard Hewitt to evolve a little bit in his role, that they're gaining more confidence that both of them can get it done. Yeah, what a difference a year makes at defensive tackle. Um, what a difference four months makes when <laughs> you go back to, or three months when you go back to August and how much of a question that still was. Um, Crawford's been huge in terms of the development there and, and what he's been able to do with Hewitt's. I mean, Hewitt's come along. Um, as well, I, mean, I think Virginia Tech's all, all of a sudden got four defensive tackles that they play and trust and will rotate out there, um, you know, without without hesitation. Uh, but Crawford, you nailed it, and, and 
what a find in the JUCO ranks there um, in terms of if you're going to go the JUCO route, that's exactly the impact that like you, you want. And that's exactly what Virginia Tech needed was we need somebody who can come in right away and, and be a starter. And they got that with Crawford. And then other guys to mention, Dax Hollifield, third straight game with an interception. This time he's standing up. He wasn't falling <laughs> back when he caught it. He it was kind of the there. same as the Notre Dame. I mean, uh, the, the Wake Forest pick in terms yeah. of straight up in the air, and he's just basically fair catching it. And now he's like in, what, the top ten of the ACC for interceptions, which is crazy. It's the last three weeks he's had all his production. But, you know, <laughs> another great game from him. Uh, saw Jeremy Webb out there right make there. a huge play. I mean, almost took the head off of a Georgia Tech guy. Um, and, you know, Devin Hunter was out there, Devon Diablo, Alan Tisdale with two sacks. He I was, mean, all, once, yeah. once he came in late, I mean, I don't think he played that much early, but once they got, so they got Ashby out. And played Dax at Mike for a little bit, um, just working on that. So that's when Tisdale really started playing every down. And then eventually they got Dax out of there. I think I saw Dylan Rivers go in at that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tisdale was just everywhere and, um, like particularly chasing guys down on the perimeter, he was exploding to the ball. So, um, you know, I think he's, he's certainly making a case or still making the case he's been making all year that he deserves to play and split reps with Hollyfield. Yeah, and it's just crazy how much production he's putting out there with such limited time. And, you know, I did say last week that, you know, it would be a good game for Tisdale, a guy that maybe covers better sideline to sideline. But, hey, bud, whatever you did, it worked. Keep doing it. Don't <laughs> listen to me. Yeah. Um, but, but, but basically drew up the perfect game here in terms of, I mean, obviously that's the case when you win 45 to nothing and Georgia Tech basically they put in their backup quarterback really early in the second half because clearly it wasn't working for Graham. So, um, just, just a great performance all around. They got a ton of, ton of backups, a whole bunch of playing time. I mean, Armani, Armani Chapman, um, had a really nice play on that. I think it was a third down where he ripped the ball out of the hands um, right at the first down marker. He looks great as a as a third cornerback, I guess. Um, we talked about Tisdale's great as a second backer. You got defensive tackles, four defensive tackles. There's there's depth developing um, with with the situation. And I guess in many ways, this is this game turned out to be what you would what Virginia Tech hoped like the ODU and Furman game would be where you can, where you can play some young guys. I mean, I saw Josh Fuga got in there uh, late for his first time of time of the year. So, um, I, you know, it helps when you're up 45 to nothing, you can start circling it or rotating guys in there. Yeah. I can't wait in a few years when, if, you know, Fuga's the starter, make it. Yeah. And he just goes into the backfield Lane Stadium just erupts. Foo. Yep. <laughs> he would be perfect for that. Any last thoughts for the defense? Uh, let's see. We covered Jeremy Webb making a play. Um, no, I think we did pretty good. Oh, I'll throw out a stat. Just like the Russian, uh, Russian defense stat. Um, 
Uh, let me go back to this. It'll be the exact same thing. So rushing defense in September. Do you have a guess on what Virginia Tech was? I'm going to guess they were 80-something. Go lower. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, tell me. They were 104th in the country (laughs) in rushing defense in, in August and September, I guess. Wow. In November... They're ninth in the country. That's insane. So, um, yeah, that's a turnaround, and um, you know, it was something we talked about all all off season leading into this year was the defense was not good last year, and how much better could the defense get um, this year? Like, what was an appropriate expectation to go from you know where they were at the or after last year to like? Could they go and be like the 55th or 60th best defense in the country? And they might finish around there, I think, because of where the, you know, first six or eight games of the year. But clearly now they're trending towards being a top 20 defense, which is, which is pretty crazy. And just another, another, uh, feather in the cat for Bud Foster. Yeah. It's crazy. It just, I mean, you talk about it in September and that's, playing the likes of Old Dominion, playing the likes of Furman. I mean, and now you transition to, you know, November when you're playing Notre Dame, you're playing a ranked Wake Forest, and you're playing Georgia Tech. Uh, Just kind of crazy the comparison between, you know, the teams. This game particularly, you have, I mean, we all, we knew that they weren't a good passing team, but then, I mean, you knew they were still going to try and pass, and if, they were going to compete in the game. They were going to have to complete some passes. And I mean, that's Farley and Waller again, just giving them basically no space to throw the ball. So, um, pretty much a complete, complete performance on defense for Virginia Tech. And to make it a complete performance for the entire team, you got to mention the special teams. And Oscar Bradburn was and, at it again. Anyone in particular you want to talk about on? Yeah, there's uh let's see, punt return kicker Oscar Bradburn. Make and, it all about him. Well, I don't know if you've checked the punting stats after the most recent No, I know. <laughs> Have did you he, not did he drop down a spot? No, he's now the number one punter in the country. You're kidding me. He's uh he's at forty eight point two eight punts or yards per punt and he's he's ahead of Max Duffy from Kentucky. By .02 yards per punt right now. So all right, thanks everyone for listening. I gotta go. <laughs> but in all actuality, Oscar Bradburn once again, what a legendary performance! You know, I was scared because he did have that one touchback. You know, that's, I, I thought you know, that was, I watching the game. I was like, no, this isn't this isn't good for Oscar's campaign. But now looking at it now, it's, it did exactly what he needed to do. Exactly, and you know, outside of Oscar Bradburn. I mean, a big storyline we were talking about it last week was putting Tavion Robinson on the punt return and what a difference it makes. He had three punt returns for 34 yards and a long of 16. I know that there was a lot of question marks during his recruitment because he allegedly ran a 4.840 and a lot of people (laughs) in the industry are going to be like, wow, he's snail slow. Like you can't be a wide receiver and run a 4.8. But when you look at him on the field, his elusiveness, his ability to make guys miss, 
I mean, you even saw it on his, you know, double end around or jet sweep, whatever you want to call it, his 49 yard run that he just, he knows how to break past people. And he has the mindset that every time he touches the ball, he wants to make a big play. He is like deceivingly quick. He's like a, it's <laughs> a weird comparison, but he's like a Banu Ginobili type basketball player on punt returns. Like nobody was going to be like blown away by Manu's speed or athleticism or explosiveness, but he was one of the best players in the league and was pretty much unstoppable for years because he just knew how to get to where he needed to go. And, um, you know, Robinson's proven to be that guy uh, on punt returns, picking up. I mean, 10 to 15 yards per punt return, you know, takes you from starting the starting the ball at the 25 to starting the ball at the 40, and that's been huge. And I think that's that's a key for Virginia Tech to to keep that up over the last two games here, um, is to just continue to kind of steal those field position yardage. Um, where you can you can basically flip the field, even if Virginia, if, even if Tech doesn't do anything offensively with the ball, because they have the weapon that is Oscar Radburn. If you can, if you can just get near the fifty, you can basically pin in um, the offense inside the fifteen or ten yard line every time. Yeah, and once again, Virginia Tech's kickoff unit stellar, absolutely stellar. Um, and you know, Brian Johnson did what he had to do, made a 22 yard field goal, six extra points, you know, solid day at the office for Brian Johnson. I'd say the one thing that (laughs) didn't happen was, uh, my prediction on taking a kickoff return back for a touchdown. But I will say that I did mention that it would be very difficult if there was only two opportunities to return a kickoff. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so you you can't take one back if you don't take any if they don't kick off at all. Yeah, for you know the or the I guess half. it was one kickoff. Yeah, yeah, it was one. <laughs> so yeah, it's really hard to do. So I'm not going to take any blame for that prediction going haywire. Well, I still got one out for the next two weeks against Pittsburgh and Virginia. I'm hoping that Tavion Robinson is able to house a punt, even if it's you know punting out of the end zone. And it gets tipped, and he catches it at you know twenty well, yard line. That counts. Well, if that happens, it's probably gonna be Dax catching it. Yeah, well, <laughs> he'd be falling backwards, so he wouldn't bring it to the house. But, um, yeah, overall, very complete performance by Virginia Tech, seven and three. Now, number twenty five in the AP Top twenty five poll. I'm curious to see what the college football rankings rate them. It might be a little higher, knowing what's on what's at stake. Yeah, you know, I know they excuse themselves from the room when their team is discussing, but you know, maybe Frank Beamer can can hold some sway and get get the Hokies up to like you know twenty two or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're gonna do something new here. This was Doug's idea to do this, and great idea. Uh, we went on the message board uh, about an hour and a half ago and just asked people for questions. So we'll just go around and and answer some of these questions. So the first one is from Golden Hokey, who asks, how much success of our offense is Hendon and why were Keen and Mitchell criminally underused until Hendon became the quarterback? Such a crime. Um, 
I'd say, in my opinion, I think it's all right. So if we're gonna do like a hundred percent, I'd say it's probably sixty-five percent Hendon Hooker, and then the rest you can pretty much divvy up. Um, I think the offensive line is, as as we talked about earlier, the offensive line has been huge, and I mean Hooker hasn't been running for his life and has time had time to throw and the, the success he has on the ground is on designed runs so they're they're playing well um across the board there and i think hookers you know starting against my his first start against miami turner missed that game but since then um hazelton and turner have basically been healthy together for the first time all year so i think that's helped um and then clearly the tight ends have, as Golden Hokey says, they were criminally underused early. But I think Keen, I, I wonder if Keen was as healthy as he claimed to be coming off um, the knee surgery he had. I guess it was after last year. But he basically he missed all the spring practice. And um, I wonder if it took him a little bit to get back um, to 100%. But then also... I think the offense is tailored differently with with Hooker as um, quarterback than Willis as quarterback. I think Willis were more Willis was more of a guy that they were going to push the ball down the field with. Um, whether that was the right decision, I think that is a conversation that can be had because um, I don't think the throws Hooker is making to Keene and Mitchell are particularly unique to Hendon Hooker playing quarterback. So. Um, that's what I got for that one. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just add a little bit. I think, you know, definitely a lot of the credit goes to Hendon, and because he's the quarterback, the star position of the sport, you know, everyone's going to point to him for the reason for the turnaround, and that's fair. But I, like you mentioned, a lot of it's the offensive line. In terms of the tight ends, like you mentioned, Dalton Keene, don't think he was 100% when he played against Boston College. He looks super slow. Like, he's running at a different pace right now. Yeah, I remember when that he... game. You like, <laughs> everybody was like, hmm, Dalton Keene was suspiciously missing from that one. Yeah, so I think because there was an omission of of Dalton Keene and, um, you know, as much as everyone wants to point to Jerry Kill for bringing back the tight ends, I think, you know, there's a number of circumstances that everyone really got healthy at the right time. The offensive line started to click around that time. And I think because of the success on the ground game that Virginia Tech was able to disguise some of those plays to the tight ends a bit more, whereas in the beginning of the season with Ryan Willis, when it was very one-dimensional and the running game wasn't really working, I think they weren't comfortable in calling those tight end plays. Well, and then not only, like, not only are you not comfortable, they're not as effective when the running, like, that that fake to the running back has to sell, right? For Keen to come open or Mitchell to come open in the flats. And then the other thing is, the offensive line is struggling so much early in the year that Keen, as your best blocker, is going to be basically used as a blocker most of the time there. So um, I think his his opportunities probably increase or decrease um, based on the ability to run the ball and whether he's needed to block. Second question comes from Sev, who has 
four questions in one. Hey, go for uh, it. <laughs> the first of four is please talk a little bit about the role of QP going forward. Is he going to come in for specific packages, or did we just see him yesterday because it was a blowout? I don't think he's going to be a specific package guy. Um, I think Hooker brings a lot of what he brings to the table in terms of the running game and picking up short yardage and all that. So I think he's, I think he's kind of redundant um, in that sense. So I don't see, I don't see any reason on third and two to take out Hooker, where you still have a threat to throw the ball and bring in Patterson, where everybody knows he's just going to um, be the pattering ram and and run it up the middle. So. Um, yeah, I don't think he has. I don't think he has a specific role going forward. Um, yeah, so I, I would say, don't expect to see too much Quincy Patterson. He mainly played, you know, when he first came in, it was because Hendon was hurt, and then he came in the second half because it was a blowout. You know, against games like Pitt and uh, UVA, I don't think you'll see too much of him, but. You know, his role is still important because of Hendon Hooker's knee. Obviously, he's not playing at 100%. Hendon Hooker, you know, is still, you know, doing everything he can. He's playing well enough right now, you know, playing super well, but still, I think, hampered a bit by that injury. So I think, you know, moving forward, Quincy is the clear number two guy. If anything happens to Hendon, he'll play. And mainly it's just about learning as much as he can in practice so that he can open up the playbook a little more. Yeah, the thing with Quincy going forward is just like what happened this weekend is he's going to have to be ready. Just based on how Hooker plays like, and the fact that they run him a lot and that and that kind of thing, he's going to get nicked up. Um, he might lose his helmet at some point and have to come off. So Patterson's going to be – he's the number two quarterback and would come in and in those situations. The second question, distribution of carries between King and McLeese going forward. I don't see it changing much. I think, you know, McLeese isn't ever going to be a 20, 25 carry, you know, lead back for Virginia Tech. So I think, you know, 15 or so carries for McLeese and 10-ish carries for for King, plus or minus a few on either side for both of them. Um, I don't see... I don't see it flip-flopping or, like, King taking over and becoming the guy who carries it 20 times a game, basically. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, next question, will we see Dax at Mike Moore? Interesting. You want to take that one? Yeah, I mean, obviously it all depends with Ashby, how his hamstring is. He looked pretty good against Georgia Tech. I know they wanted to arrest him and put Dax and Mike a bit more in that game. I think, you know, against a team like Pittsburgh and UVA, they're not as fast on the perimeter. And I think Ashby is a guy you really want to have at Mike, a guy that has so much experience. In my personal opinion, he's been the MVP of the team, of the defense, I should say. And a guy that you really want to have as the shot caller against teams like Pittsburgh and UVA, which are must-win games if you want to make it to the ACC championship game. Yeah, there's no reason to play Dax at Mike when you have Rayshard Ashby if he's completely healthy. Um, 
I know that people that he's a better fit for Mike than Backer, but this is the two most important play uh games of the year coming up and you're not gonna other than a blowout or an injury, you're not gonna take off Ashby, who's the leading tackler and has been named line the best linebacker in the ACC four times this year and all that. So yeah, if Ashby's a hundred percent he's gonna play Mike going forward. You'll see Dax more if Virginia Tech is able to blow out Pittsburgh and UVA. That's the only way. Correct. <laughs> and then or the last hamstring tightens up. Or if the ham the hamstrings have just been brutal. But uh, <laughs> the last question of the four and one question. You can handle this one. I will gladly handle this one. Sev asks, will Oscar Bradburn fall to the second round in this year's NFL draft? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. I think in all actuality, what are what are the rules, right? You're allowed to withdraw from the NFL draft, or am I confusing it with the NBA draft right now? Uh, Once you get an agent, you can't come back. Yeah, once you sign with an agent, you're you're done. And then I think they have like a deadline where you have to withdraw by. So even if you don't have an agent, if you have to make your decision by that time. Yeah, I know they can they can uh, ask for feedback on certain players. Usually you have to be all ACC for that to happen. I think that's going to be the case for Oscar Bradburn. I think he's going to be first team all ACC. He might even be an All-American if he keeps it up, to be quite honest. And, uh, you know. He's the number one punter in the country. He should if, be, right? If he's the number one punter in the country, I'm so scared I mean, he loves Blacksburg. He loves the team. He loves the atmosphere. I think, you know, it, it's, it's tough because, you know, you want to finish up your degree. You want to get a nice fallback, especially as a f- specialist going into the NFL. Um, but you know, for Oscar Bradburn, his stock has never been higher. So the NFL could be a very realistic possibility for him after this year. I just did a quick Google of punter declares early to see. Who has? It was the Texas guy that I remember last. Yeah, the Texas guy declared. It looks like it was in 2017. Michael Dixon. Yeah, he was um, legendary. I don't know where he's Australian. Now. Um, Eddie Pinheiro was a kicker for Florida. He left early, and then Clemson had a guy and uh, Brad Wing for LSU. I think the Giants took. Yeah. Pretty early, so. There's precedent for him if Oscar wants to leave. I don't know if he'll be first round, though. Yeah, he won't be first round, as if, I would hope. I would love to see the reaction of, like, where's the NFL draft this year coming up? Whoever the host city is, if they take Oscar Bradburn in the first round. That'd be awesome. It's in Las Vegas, so I guess. Oh, I'm scared for Oscar in that case. Yeah. <laughs> if he gets drafted in the first round and has to celebrate in Las Vegas... Oh man, <laughs> that that's gonna be content right there. Yeah, they'll be looking for him to walk across the stage and shake Adele's hands, and he'll be at the craps table probably. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you leave when your stock is the highest? He might win the Ray Guy Award. He might be an All American. Do you leave? I mean, teams don't really draft punters. You're most likely gonna be an undrafted free agent and sign with a team. You could do that after your senior year. I don't know. It, it, it's a it's a tough decision that only Oscar can answer. 
Yeah, it'd be interesting. I I don't know, like, the circumstances of the other punters and kickers that have left early, like, if they talked to teams before the the decision and they were like, yeah, we would spend a fifth-round pick on you or a fourth-round pick. Or, like, do you get a guarantee that, you know, we'll pick you if you're there in the sixth round or something? Because, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to leave um, and be an undrafted free agent. But, I mean, <laughs> it's so weird with punters. and Yeah, it, it's <laughs> tough. And especially yeah. Oscar. He's a different case altogether. He's in his own category. Um, but on to the next question. This one's kind of previewing for our podcast later in the week, but we can answer it briefly. Give a little preview. Why not? You know, a preview of the preview. Yeah, a, a preview of the preview. Victory VT asks, how would you compare Pitt's QB Kenny Pickett to previous quarterbacks that VT has played against this season? What must VT accomplish on defense to stop Pickett? Um, I'm trying to, I'm going back through who they've played. He's not as good as Newman, um, for Wake Forest or Sam Howell, or Sam Howell. Um, he's different than Book in that he's go, he's like, he's a little more of a gunslinger type guy. So, I mean, sometimes that benefits him and sometimes that doesn't. He throws picks, um, and then he's a he's a dual threat guy who can who can run a little bit and get out of the pocket. So um I think that is something to keep an eye on um with regard to him. But yeah, I think he's probably like the third or fourth best quarterback tech has faced. Um of course, you know, three of the quarterbacks tech has faced was Graham and then the ODU kid and the Furman kid, so you know, fit all the road, I guess. Yeah, I would say he's he's very similar to Quentin Harris. Quentin Harris is a better athlete, but they kind of do the same thing for their offenses where they're the game managers. They're the guys that when they need to make a key throw, they will, but they're trying to control pretty much everything, trying to be the coach on the field. Kenny Pickett doesn't put up a ton of stats. I think he has like 10 touchdowns and eight interceptions on the year. And Hendon Hooker pretty much has that in what five games, so yeah. I mean they're they're Kenny Pickett is a guy that's like very gritty and and you know on third and two he'll call his own number and and try to run for the first down and try to run over a guy he's that type of quarterback but I don't think in terms of you know natural arm talent he's up there with some of the quarterbacks that Virginia Tech has faced and in terms of what Virginia Tech has to accomplish on defense, I think it's really making Pickett one-dimensional. I think the the scary part about Pittsburgh is how physical they are up front and what they do on the ground game. I think it's very intriguing how they're able to produce yardage on the ground, even though they don't have a ton of options. So I think if you have to make Kenny Pickett throw – I mean, he really only has two options that he throws the ball to, making him one-dimensional and making him, you know, test Jermaine Waller and Caleb Farley on the outside. Yeah, he's his game log is all over the place in terms of success he's had and whether he's been efficient. I mean, he threw 51 passes against Penn State 
and they only scored 10 points in the loss. And then the next week comes out, um, 25 of 47 in a 35 point game with where they beat ECF. Um, and then, I mean, he's, he's just kind of, he's all over the place. He's only thrown more than one touchdown in a game once or twice this year. One of them was against Duke and he also threw two picks that game. So, um, he seems like he's a roller coaster of a quarterback to have. Yeah. I think the key is just from watching them a little bit today is they, he has seems to have a lot of success when like a play breaks down and he is scrambling and he can find a guy, um, kind of like a scramble drill type situation. So I think if you can pressure him and then but keep him kind of contained in the pocket and not let him get out where it's just scramble and find a guy who's coming open. I think if you can pressure him and, and keep him fairly contained, then you can force him into some 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 incompletions and then probably a pick or two. Yeah, he seems like the ultimate do-whatever-you-have-to-do-to-get-it-done type of quarterback that he's not really good in any one category, but he does he re- it all. He reminds me of somebody, but I can't, like, figure it out right now nathan peterman yeah no not (laughs) (laughs) all right let's move on to the last question um a lot of these are geared towards pittsburgh so i'll just pick the last one about georgia tech and we can answer the other ones when we do the preview later in the week um this one's from hokey scrubs worst hands garbit or the georgia tech wide receiver court Yikes. Wow, that was harsh. <laughs> really good question, though. Um, I think somebody replied afterwards and pointed out that the Georgia Tech offensive lineman got lucky and stripped him, basically, as soon as he picked it up. But uh, I think I'll go Georgia Tech wide receiving core on this one and stick with <laughs> some confidence in Taiwan there. Yeah, I think... Um, <laughs> Such an unfortunate play, and you could see how devastated he was as soon as it ended, and he's, like, collapsing on the ground because, you know, he he just missed a touchdown for himself. Yeah, hands on his helmet, dropping to his knees. That was At that point of the game, that was technically the worst play for Virginia Tech. That was, like, the most unfortunate play is that he didn't pick up the loose ball on the ground, like, six yards out from the end zone. So I that just says wanted, a lot of... I just want to know what the... uh <laughs> what the situation in the film room was this week when they got to that play. Yeah, he's not going to be happy about that one. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that will do it for the question segment. If you guys enjoyed this, please let us know, and we'll try to do this more. Um, this is a lot of fun answering your questions, what you guys want to hear. And we're going to save some of the other ones. I'm, I'm just scrolling down right now and looking at some of them. So we'll, we'll save some of these for the preview. Um, just to entice you guys to listen to that one as well. But Doug, any final thoughts about either Georgia Tech or, you know, anything about Virginia Tech so far? Uh, well, we got, I mean, this is Virginia Tech's played themselves into, you know, where they want to be, which is, I mean, we've talked about this, and pretty much everyone's talking about the after Duke, the AD moniker that the team has seemingly come up with. Um, 
but yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun, I'd say, to be around something where you're playing games as meaningful the last two weeks of the year as these two against Pittsburgh and UEA are going to be. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun down the stretch. Um, and especially this week, the amount of pressure on both sides. And honestly, I can, you know, my opinion is whoever ends up winning this next game, you know, is, is the team, is the team that deserves to be in the title game. So, um, yeah, I guess the, the last thing I want to discuss is the 3.30 kickoff time. Are you a fan of that or are you more in favor of the 7.30? Cause pretty sure Miami and FIU got it. How did they get it? Who wants to watch that at 7.30? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going to try and figure out what decisions go into that. Um, the TV decision makers up there in Bristol, um, but. I think I'm fine with 3:30. Um, it's, I mean, that's SEC plays its biggest game of the week at 3:30 every every week. So it would have been, you know, the night game in Lane is can be fun and is theoretically um, a, a benefit for Virginia Tech, but also Tech hasn't really played that great in night yeah. games recently. Um, so. <laughs> I mean, 3.30 is fine. It'll be dark. I mean, the sun goes down in Blacksburg at like 4.15. <laughs> it's essentially both in one. Yeah, you're going to get – it's going to be cold. I think I saw today the weather is – the high is going to be like 45 with some rain. So, Lovely. of course, that'll probably change by the time we get to Saturday. But um, Yeah, it'll probably maybe, be snowing or 60 degrees. Yeah, it'll go – one way or the other. Um, yeah, three thirty is fine. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah, and I think someone pointed out that in three thirty games, Virginia Tech is undefeated. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I don't know what time the Boston College game was. That was around that time. <laughs> technically started at four. So. Oh yeah. So yeah, three thirty. Yeah. That's the game you want. Yeah. You know, second half night game, first half afternoon game. Pretty much the end of fall, I guess. Last game in Lane Stadium. You want to be able to see Bud Foster wave the crowd goodbye, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Or or at least shake the lunch pail at him as he walks off the field. Yeah. But anyways, that'll do it for us, and we'll see you later this week for the Pittsburgh Preview. Hey, you gotta watch that man. He'll go coast on the